Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. All right. We are currently in a series uh, throughout the summer through the book of Psalms. Um, and I've, I've really been enjoying this series. Anyone else enjoying this series through the Psalms? Yeah. Only one of you, Keith. Thanks. Thanks, Keith. <laughs> Good job. Yes. Um, I, I really love the Psalms because it's an honest take about life. What we find in the Psalms is just people being honest if, with their experience of life beside their life of faith with God. And what, what happens is that they're encountering God as they experience life. And God reminds them of his character and of his love and of his grace for them. And they're transformed. They're reminded of who God is and God's goodness. And it's a reminder that we need as we go through this life and experience life, just like David, just like the writers of the psalm, like we're experiencing real life beside these authors. And what I love about the psalms is that it's a reminder that the Bible is a divine book. Like it is God's revelation to his people, but it's also a human book. It's also a book that we get to interact, where we get to experience God together with him. I mean, what happened is that the way that we got the Bible is that people experienced life, and they experienced faith, they had faith, and they experienced the divine in their lives in such a powerful way, and we call this way that God shows up in their lives revelation, and it's so powerful, and it's so true that they write it down, and they start telling others, and they write it down, and they get it in order, and that we end up with the Bible today, and it is God's word, and it's God's true word, and it is true, and it is God breathed. It is through his spirit that he reveals himself to the prophets and to David and to the kings. And he even reveals himself to us today. We believe that God is still speaking. We believe that God is speaking to us and that we need to have ears to hear, that we would hear and respond from God. And what we do is that when we hear from God, we can go back to his word and how he's already spoken, how he's already revealed himself to us. And compare that to what we're hearing from God and say, is this true? Is this something that God would say? We can test it there, and we can know that God is good and God is true, and we can be reminded of his character when life is hard, when life is difficult. And what's awesome is that we have an an opportunity to be honest. We just have an opportunity to be honest with the way that life is, as well as allow ourselves to be humbled before God. And that's the important part, that we be humbled before God and God's greatness, and God's goodness, and God's plan for us and for the world. And so the Psalms is this this beautiful place where these two things, our experience of life and the character of God, collide, and we get to be transformed in the middle of it. We get to be the beneficiaries of God revealing himself to us. And how beautiful is it that we have a God who shows up, who reveals himself to us, who wants to be known to us, who wants to speak to you and me. I think that's amazing that we have a God who's active, who wants to talk to us. And so what we see throughout the Psalms is that there's a number of genres. There's lament throughout the Psalms. There is praise. There's this kind of these royal Psalms. And today what we're going to look at is a Psalm that's based on wisdom. And so today's Psalm is going to read more kind of like, uh, more like a proverb than it is a psalm. And so what we're going to see is kind of this wisdom of David making observations of the world around him and how God steps into the brokenness of the observation that he makes around the world and how God is going to bring everything that's kind of broken in this world right. And 
I love that he points us towards the truth of who God is, that we would not get distracted by the observations that we see in the world, but that as we make observations of brokenness, that we would fall on our knees, seek God, and allow God to reveal himself and his goodness and his character to us. And so that's what we're going to see in Psalm 37 this morning. And so Psalm 37, it's long, but I want us to read it, because I think reading the word is one of the most important things that we can do this morning. I mean, it's God's word. It's God's revelation to us. It's God showing up in the middle of this wrestling with evil in the world. And so I want us to stand, because I think we pay more attention when we stand up, um, and especially because it's long. So, and I'm going to read it, but I want you to read it as well. Maybe if you've got your phone, pull it out on your phone. If you brought your Bible, bring out your Bible. Whatever way you're going to engage in his word the most this morning, I want to encourage you to do that in this moment of Psalm 37. Here we go. It is a psalm of David, and he begins by saying this. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his palace, at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose way is upright, and their swords shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous have than the wicked abundance, than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They, will not, they are not put to shame in evil times, but in the days of famine they have abundance." But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. The righteous is generous and gives. For those, who bless, for those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of the man are established by the Lord when he delights in his ways. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have seen the righteous forsaken. I have never seen the righteous forsaken, or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so you shall dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice, for he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of God is on his heart, and his steps do not slip. 
The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death, but the Lord will not abandon him to his power, nor let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his ways, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. And when you look on the wicked, they they will be cut off. I have seen the wicked, ruthless men, spreading themselves like like a green laurel tree. But he passed away, and behold, he was no more. For I sought him, and he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright. For there is a future for the man of peace. But the transgressors shall altogether be destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. It's a lot, but God is good. And there's this constant reminder of God's goodness in the face of evil. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you that you are good and that you are faithful in the face of evil, in the face of trial, in the face of wickedness. And God, we thank you that you preserve the righteous when we face trial at the hands of evil men. And God, I pray that you would give us courage, that you give us patience. And God, that you would give us a will to seek justice and righteousness um, as a way that you would, that we would seek mercy and grace in times of trial, in times of persecution, in times where wicked men prosper. God, give us your perspective and your love and your grace this morning for all men. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So the number one question that this psalm is asking is, how should we live in a world in response to people who are evil and have prospered? And a lot of the people in the world that are evil and have prospered have prospered because of their wickedness. I mean, if there is not a psalm for today, I don't know what is. I mean, we see this happening in our lives, in our current situation, in the current headlines today, where evil men and women practice (laughs) incredible, abhorrible acts and prosper because of the oppression that they put on others throughout the day. And the question is, how do we respond? How do we live? How do we act with this evil that is around us? And the thing is, is that we're not the only ones asking this question. David's asking this question, and David's not the only guy in the Bible to ask this question either. But his son, Solomon, also asks this question in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he makes these observations about life. Um, the book of Ecclesiastes, if you think the Psalms is real, the book of Ecclesiastes is just incredibly real about life and gets to the point and the meaning of life. And uh, what he does is he just, he makes a bunch of observations around life that's like, yeah, that's true, but man, that doesn't necessarily make sense, or it kind of offends our heart. And so what we see in Ecclesiastes is the same observation that we see in the Psalms. And so Ecclesiastes 7.15 says this, if you can pull it up there. Coming up. All right. It says, in my breath of life, I have seen everything. There's a righteous man who dies early in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who lives a long life in his evil doing. He's essentially saying there are good people that die early and there are evil people that live long, and that doesn't make sense. He continues in the next, ver- in the next chapter saying, there's something else that happens on the earth. The righteous men who get what wicked people deserve, and there are wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. What he's saying here is that there are good people who get punished as if they are evil people. And there are evil people who get rewarded as if they were righteous people. And we see this happen in our world. Like, we are making this observation with David, with Solomon. We're like, what is going on 
in our world? What is broken? And one of the things that I want to address this morning is that blessedness does not come from prosperity or possessions. There's kind of this broken system in our mind that we think like if somebody has a lot of things, if they have a lot of stuff and if life is smooth and easy for them, we're like, you're blessed by God. But when we look at this and we see David and we see Solomon, they're making these observations, sometimes the people that we would mark as most blessed are actually most evil, and they got what they got through the backs and the works of oppression and of, of other people. And that's broken, and that's upside down, and that's frustrating, and that makes us angry. It makes us really angry and frustrated to see that this world of what justice should be is upside down. And what I want us to remind us of ourselves this morning is that the world that we observe, the world that David observed, the world that Solomon observes, the world that we observe, where the evil are oppressive and they gain and they prosper and they have much, that that, that is not how God had set up the world. Because we find ourselves asking the question, why? Why is this so? Why does it exist this way? And what I want you to know is that God never intended for the world to act this way. He never intended for the evil to thrive and for those who are oppressed to suffer. But we live in a world of brokenness. We live in a world where free will reigns, where he has given us the choice to choose good and evil, and our hearts are incredibly deceitful, wicked above all else, and we choose evil on the regular. We choose oppression so that we can want to get ahead. And what we have to remember is that the number one reason why Jesus came into the world was to right this wrong, was to flip this injustice on its head and to bring ultimate justice and ultimate freedom and ultimate reconciliation to this observation that we have. And so one of the main reasons Jesus came was to defeat evil and to crush it for all time, for all of eternity. And what we see is that the hope of Jesus, when he comes back again, is that he will destroy it for good. That there will be no more death, and that there will be life, and that will be the final death for all that's death and destruction, that he'll make all things new again. That is the hope that we have in Jesus, and we have this hope that he's begun it now, and that we get to participate in it now, and that we get to be people who carry his righteousness and his justice with, him, with us as his people out into the world where we can start to begin to flip this thing right side up. But the reality is, is that you and I cannot do this in our own strength. We cannot do this in our own way. We cannot do this in our own power. And the psalmist is going to show us this morning how we have to rely completely on Jesus and on God and, the, and his ways to bring about justice in the world because they're oftentimes not our ways that we would like to bring justice into the world. And we see this foreshadowing, this foreshadowing in the psalm at the very end where God is going to come and he's going to make all things right and he's going to make all things new at the very end of the psalm. And so in Psalm 37, verses 38 and 40, this is what he says. He says, eventually the transgressors shall altogether be destroyed. The future of the wicked will be cut off. And then I love these lines. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. It's not the salvation of the righteous is from their own righteousness. It's not from their own good acts, but it's this gift that comes from the Lord. And it says that he is their stronghold in times of trouble. And the Lord helps them and the Lord delivers them. He delivers them from the wickedness and saves them because they take refuge in him. 
So one of the questions this morning is, where are you taking refuge? Where are you dwelling? Is Jesus, is God, is he your dwelling place? Do you seek him? Do you find him? And do you find his salvation this morning because it's being offered to us? We don't have to go out and strive it and make it and create it. You know what happens when we try and do that? We become the oppressor. We become the wicked. Whenever we try and create our own identity, whenever we try to create our own power, our own prosperity, it normally requires taking from someone else. But the beauty of Jesus and the cross is that he gives it freely. He gives us our value. He gives us our identity. He gives us it's our freedom. We don't have to manipulate. We don't have to steal. We don't have to destroy. We don't have to climb on top of anyone. We just get to receive it. And Jesus is saying, do you have your eyes on me this morning? And so it's because of this truth that David ends the psalm with, that he can begin the psalm where he begins it with. And he begins it with where our kind of carnal nature desire begins, and that's with kind of this anger and jealousy towards those who are rich, yet have gotten rich because they are evil. He begins the psalm by saying, Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and do not be envious of wrongdoers. And I love this this word at the very beginning that he uses throughout the psalm, and it's this, this word fret. Now, when we think about the word fret, we think of like worry. We think of like to be concerned with. The word fret in the Hebrew, what it actually means is to be angry towards or to burn with jealousy. It means to, so you could say like, do not be angry, do not burn with anger because of evildoers, and do not be jealous of evildoers. And so he's kind of repeating himself again when he says, and do not be envious of wrongdoers. He's saying, do not be angry at those who are evil, and do not be jealous of those who have prospered because of their evil either. And the anger one makes a little bit of sense, because this anger that he's talking about is a vindictive anger. It's an anger that goes to seek and destroy and to get vengeance. And Jesus is like, that is not the way towards justice. That's not the way that we seek justice. That's not the way we find justice. This other one, we're like, why would I ever be envious of evildoers? Well, let me tell you, our hearts are deceitful and they're kind of twisted. And what happens is that we see someone doing evil, and maybe it's just a little bit of injustice. Maybe it's just a minor injustice. But we look at them and we see how they're prospering. And we're like, that looks pretty good. The, the, the risk-reward seems pretty high. And so what I'm going to do is I think, I think I might meddle in the same evil as those who are around me and who are prospering because I want to prosper too. And maybe if I, if I can engage in it just a little bit, I can reap some of the reward of what this evil is producing. I think this happens in our workplaces. I think this happens in relationships. And we think, oh, it's only $5 or it's only this or it's only that. And we think, how am I prospering? And Jesus is saying, and the psalmist is saying, do not burn with jealousy towards those who are gaining. But it's hard. It's hard not to. And so he continues to repeat himself. In verse 7, he says, Fret not yourself with the one who prospers in his way over the man who carries out evil devices. He's, he then goes directly to this, to this point of prosperity. And in the Psalms, the word prosperity <laughs> is translated from the word shalom, which is the word peace. 
And so what he's saying is do not burn with anger and do not burn with jealousy towards those who look like they have peace because of their evil. And I don't know about you, but there are times where I look at those who are evil in the world and they're prospering and their lives look amazing. Like they're living their best life yet, right? And they're living the dream. And here we are just stuck living normal everyday lives. It can be really easy to be like, man, I want that. I want that. I wish I could go get that. I wish I could taste that. And then there's other times where we're angry and we're like, they don't deserve that. Justice should come. They should lose everything. It would be amazing if just like calamity hit them and they got shell shock into the world, right? I mean, we feel this way. We feel both ways. And that's the genius of this word fret, right? Who knew that the word fret would have such depth and that it would mean both of this anger and jealousy kind of together and how that war happens in our hearts against those who have prospered Evilly. And so the next verse says, Refrain from anger and forsake your wrath. Fret not yourself, for it only tends to evil. He's saying that anger that you have to bring vengeance, to bring retribution, to bring destruction, you need to rein that in. And that jealousy that you also have, to that you wish that someday you could become like them, that you could have what they have, that you could maybe consider yourself blessed because of all the oppression that you've done on other people, don't, don't, don't seek that out either. And the reality is that he says, fret not yourself because it tends to evil. The reality is that when we fret, when we are anger and we, and we are jealous of those who are evil, when we live in this place of fretting and stewing between these two axioms, what we end up finding is that we begin to participate in evil ourselves. When we want to bring oppression upon them and destruction and wrath, of our own strength and of our own might, we have just become just like them. And when we become jealous and we begin to participate in the evil beside them, we have also just become like them. The reality, though, is that I think you and I already have. There's, I think if we're honest, you and I, we've, we've been in places where we've been angry and we've lashed out, and there have been places where we've been jealous and we've done the evil. In many ways, we've all been like Judas, and we've all taken our 40 pieces of silver, right? Like, you know what I'm talking about. Like, there's this place where we've just exchanged it, and we're like, yep, I'm doing this evil, and man, I'm prospering, and man, you know, I don't know how I feel about it, but like, we've been there. We participated in the evil. And the thing is, is that this psalm is really nice to read from the perspective of the righteous person. And I think 99.9% of the people, if you put Psalm 37 in their hands, they're going to read it, and they're going to be like, Woo! It is good to be the righteous. But the reality is that we've got to be confronted in our own hearts that we, too, are just like those who are the evildoers in this passage as well. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with that? And that's where we come to Jesus. That's where we come to Jesus and seek him and seek his face. This anger that we feel in the Psalms and this justice that we want to participate in, there's this passage in Romans that Paul hits us with that comes right in line with Psalm 37. And this is what it says in Romans. So as we feel these things, as we try and navigate this, as we try and navigate our own hearts in the world that we live in, 
there's some wisdom that's given by Paul, who is <laughs> just taught by Jesus in the ways of Jesus and is an apostle. He says this to us in Romans 12. And this, this rocks my world. Right? This, will, this will turn our world upside down. For as upside down as it is for the evil to prosper, what Paul tells us to do is equally as upside down. And this is what he says. He says, bless those who persecute you. So he's saying, those who do evil in the world and who oppress you and who mean harm to you and beat you down, bless them and do not curse them. That addresses the beginning of our anger. Because in our anger, there is not a hint of wanting to bless them at all. But Paul says, what? He says, bless them and do not curse them. He continues in verse 19. He says, beloved, he reminds us of our identity, of who we are in Jesus and how Jesus sees us, right? So when we seek God, when we find him as a refuge, like he sees us and he's like, you are beloved. He gives us an identity that we don't have to take, steal, or destroy to have. He just gives it to us and we are loved. He says, never avenge yourselves. In some versions, it says, never repay evil for evil. This is my sister's favorite memory verse when we were kids. I remember she was like seven, and I was like nine, and we learned never repay evil from evil. And so on the way home, we're in the backseat of the car, and she slaps me. And I'm like, Sarah, and I go to slap her back, and she's like, never repay evil for evil. Don't do it. And I just turned around to her and says, all right, fine. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, mine to repay. <laughs> I'm like, you got Jesus to look out for. <laughs> but for real, this verse says, never avenge yourselves, which is hard to do. It is super hard to do. When you get hit, you want to hit back. But he says, leave it to the wrath of God for Israel, and vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And then Paul gives us directions. He says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What Paul is saying is that enemy that you kind of objectify and turn into an object where you either kind of lust after his or her possessions or where you want to just destroy them and wipe them off the face of the earth, Jesus is saying, look at them like a person. See your enemy as a person. Pray for them. Pray for true blessing to come to them. Because guess what happens if a person who's practicing evil, if they are actually blessed by God, guess what happens? They turn from their evil and they repent and they come in to know Jesus, and they begin to restore justice in the places where oppression came. Amen? This is why we have to pray for our enemies, because it's Jesus that is the one that can do the transformation in the hearts of evil men and women in our world. And it's through that that Jesus will bring righteousness and reconciliation into our world. And so he says, look at them like I do. Look at them with compassion. Look at them with grace. See them as a person. See their need. See their thirst. See their hunger. Meet them. Feed them. Do not be overcome by evil. Do not become like them, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. And what's beautiful here is that we see in this passage Jesus' heart for both justice and compassion on sinners. Because Jesus' heart is just. And our God is just. But he says that vengeance piece, like, that's not you. That's me. 
Let me deal with that. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He says, but you, you go and have compassion, have mercy, have grace, see people as people, and pray for your enemy. That they might see the truth and know that I am God and repent and come to know me and that righteousness would be restored. And what's beautiful is that it's on the cross where we see God's justice executed on Jesus. And we also see God's compassion on sinners executed upon us. And so Jesus is asking us to take up our cross and to go with him in our world. And that, I believe, is what true justice looks like. And so what we find in the Psalms is this list of kind of five different commands that follow this part where we wrestle with the evil in our world and how they prosper and how we should do engage with them. And, and what we learn is that we shouldn't be angry and we also shouldn't be um, jealous. And so the question is, what do we do? And he gives us five quick commands. And the, the quick commands is to trust in him, to dwell in him, to delight in him, to commit to him in his ways, and to be still and wait for him. Because he is going to bring justice. He will do it. And so I want to go through these five commands pretty quickly and just see what God is doing in this space. Because what we begin to see is God begins to turn our eyes from the evildoer and from the injustice that's happening in the world and our inability to engage with it rightly and he says, set your eyes on me instead and allow me to transform your heart. And when that happens, you'll be able to walk as a person of justice in the world around you, in the world full of, full of injustice. So that's what these commands do. These commands bring our attention to him and to set our sights on him. And so the first one is to trust him. And so he says, trust the Lord and do good. Trust the Lord and do good. Do you trust him this morning? And do you seek goodness in your world? He says, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Dwell in the land and, and pursue faithfulness. I've been thinking of this idea of faithfulness lately. And the idea of faithfulness is just that faithfulness isn't sexy. Like, there's nothing sexy about faithfulness. Like, there's just nothing about it. It's like, it's day in, day out, mundane, the same thing every day. Like, there's nothing flashy about it. But he says, make faithfulness your friend and dwell in the land. And guess what, guys? We have been placed in the city to dwell. We've been placed in a beautiful city to dwell in where there are people that are broken, where there are people that need Jesus, where there are people that need freedom and the love of Jesus to come into their lives. And we get to dwell there and we get to pursue faithfulness to Jesus in that space. And so I'm reminded of a beautiful verse in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29. And it says this, the Israelite people have been cast out of their land. They've been pulled out of the promised land. They've had a bunch of evil people take them in and make them slaves and force them to live with them. And it's an area where you could get angry and jealous at those who are oppressing you. And, and God says this to them. He says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you in exile and pray for the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Jesus is saying, pray for your city. Pray for your neighbors. I have sent you on mission, even in the places where there is deep evil, where there is deep oppression, where there is deep frustration and anger and jealousy. Be faithful to me in it. Pray for them and seek me in the middle of it. And as I show up in your life, I will begin to show up in the lives of the people around you. 
and the city will begin to be transformed. And that is good news. And so the question is, are we trusting God? Are we dwelling in him? And are we dwelling in the land that he has sent us to be in? Because he has sent us to Madison. He sent us to Mount Horeb. He sent us to New Glarus. He sent us to where we are placed in the, the places that we work and the places that we rest to be there and to seek the welfare of those that are around us. The next thing that he commands us to do, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This passage is probably one of the most quoted passages of the Bible. We have a lot of people that quote this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And the thing is, is that a lot of times it's quoted in a way that we see God as a cosmic vending machine. That if we were just to be happy enough in God, if we could fake it till we make it with our happiness with God, then maybe he'd give me what I really wanted. And that what we really wanted is just a bunch of possessions and a bunch of stuff that's going to fade away that we can't take with us anyways. That's the vanity of our hearts. But the reality is that if we know this, if we seek God, and if we delight in him, if we find true delight in him, what it's saying is that the desires of your heart, the desire to be loved, the desire to be accepted, the desire to have value, to have purpose, to have meaning, those desires are going to be fulfilled because of who our God is and because of his character and because he gives those things freely to you and me. Like, we don't have to live the evil, seeking those things out, oppressing others and taking from others to find our identity, to find our hope, to find our strength, to find our love, to find our purpose and value. Those are given to us by our loving Father. And our loving Father is so good that he also throws in some good gifts, like some stuff that we wanted. Like, he's good at that, and he does do that. But that's not like par for the course. That's not what that verse means. This verse means, do we find just true delight in the Father and in his presence? And there, when we are in delight with him, we can find our heart filled with purpose and love and grace and just being. We can just rest and know that it is finished, to know that the work is done. Do we delight ourselves in his character? The next one is commit. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him, and he will act. And he will bring forth the righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Now, when we hear this word commit, commit yourself to Jesus, the, the question is like, well, what do we do? Like what, like, what does that look like? And a lot of times, like, we just go right to the standard answers of like, well, that just means I need to read my Bible more and pray more. And I don't know if it necessarily means that. It could mean that. But what I think it means is, like, are you committed to hearing God's voice and responding to him in all areas of life? Where you hear God speaking, are you quick to respond? Are you quick to put into action the truths that are in the Bible? Are you quick to put in action the character of God where he has you? And now what I find is that the more that we are quick to hear and respond from God, the more that we desire to read his word more and the more that we desire to pray more because when we hear his word, when we read his word, it trains us to hear his voice. And so maybe to commit to hearing God more is to read his word so that we can learn to hear his voice when he's speaking to us. And then when it might cause us to pray more because what I find is that when we pray, we begin to know the heart of God more for his people and for ourselves, and we get to learn our own identity. And so committing to God might look like learning to pray more, 
It might look like what it is to hear and respond from God, to know what God is saying and how he's calling us to live and how to respond according to his heart where he has placed us. Commit yourselves to the Lord. Trust in him and that he will act, that he will come through and bring justice and that he will make you righteous like the light and make you justice, your justice like the noonday. See, Jesus and God is the one doing the work in us. As we hear and respond to him, we will become people of righteousness and justice in our world. Not like the people who are angry and jealous and try and bring justice in their own strength. So commit to put God in action. To not just allow your faith to be ethereal. To not just believe the right things and check off the list, but to actually have faith and to test God, and to trust God, and take a step, and to begin to put the things that you know that is true about God and about his heart into action with the people around you. And then finally, the command is be still. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. The reality is that waiting is hard. I mean, it's hard just standing in the checkout aisle, right? Has your phone ever been dead in the checkout aisle? Right? You're like, how did we do this? How did we survive? It was a long time. Waiting is hard, even when it's easy. Waiting is super hard when we are suffering. It is really hard when we are suffering. And it's really hard when there is suffering and there seems to be no answers. And it's really hard when we are called to wait when it feels like God isn't meeting our expectations in a current situation. But I want you to know is that that does not mean that God is not faithful. Just because he feels far off, because it feels like he's not listening to us, know that he might be calling us to be still and wait patiently for him, to wait for the Lord in keeping his ways. It says this, it says later in the psalm, it says, wait for the Lord and keep his ways, and he will exalt you, and you will inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. He will do it. Trust that God will show up in your situation. Trust that God will bring justice in your place of injustice. He is going to do it. And so we have these, thought, these themes of trusting God, dwelling God, delight in him, commit to him, and be still before him. And if we read through the rest of the psalm, we see line after line that just kind of repeats itself around these themes. And so I want to read some of those. The first one is that the steps of men are established by the Lord when he delights in his ways. So there's wisdom when we delight in the, in the Lord. He's going to show us his ways. It says, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, and the Lord upholds his hand. I just think of it like when I'm holding Benjamin's hand, and he trips, and I'm like still holding his hand, and I pull him up before he can scrape his knee. I'm like, I got you, buddy, right? Because he's holding my hand, and my hand is in his, and his in mine. And that is where it is when we delight ourselves in the Lord. Later in the psalm, it says, Turn away from evil and do good, so you shall dwell forever. The Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. There's this promise that we will have good land to dwell on, that this world that seems upside down will be righted again one day when he comes through. And then finally, the, the verse that we've just repeated over and over is the final verses of the, of the chapter. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. 
can't reiterate that enough. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. It's not from our own righteousness, but it's from him. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Now, you could read this passage and this psalm as, as a way of like, just don't worry about injustice in the world. Just don't worry about the evil. Just, just turn to Jesus and everything will be okay. But I don't think that that's the heart of this psalm. And I don't think that that's where the psalm wants to leave us. The psalm wants to encourage us that someday God is going to come through and it will be good and it will be done and it will be finished. But I also see this psalm as an invitation to move towards justice and righteousness where he has called us right where we're at. And I think that that's a call to local justice, that it's a call away from moral outrage, and it's a call to live a life that is towards Jesus. The reality is that we cannot live a life of justice from a place of vengeance and rage. We just can't. It's impossible. Now, there is this reality that when injustice comes, that we would get angry, that there is a righteous anger, that there is a righteous frustration. But we have to check that with the Spirit of God and say, do I want to just destroy them and remove them from the earth? Or do I see them as a human being? And do I have compassion on them? Do I see their needs? And do I pray for them? And what I see is that we are generally a people that when injustice happens, we just respond in moral outrage. Like moral outrage in this country is like the number one thing to be. Like, I don't know about you, but I turn on social media and everybody's angry. Everybody's angry about something. It is the hot topic thing to just be morally outraged about X. It doesn't matter where you're at on the ideological spectrum. There is something that you can be angry about, that you should be angry about, that you probably are angry about, right? And the reality is, is that we cannot be people of justice when we respond out of a place of rage and anger and vengeance. And the place where we are at in moral outrage is that we're not even having a conversation anymore. Where we're at is that we just want to destroy the other person. We're just like, you know what would make life better? You know what would make this earth better? Is that if the opposite side just didn't exist. That would be a lot easier. Right? Like, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. But the reality is that when you sit down and you're able to have a conversation with the other side, and you're able to begin to see each other as human beings, and you begin to see that you just disagree on how a common problem because normally we're identifying problems that are the same on both sides. We just have different solutions. We can mean the same, like, man, that person's a good person. That person's pursuing a form of justice. That person's a good person. They're pursuing a form of justice. We can begin to see each other. And it's there where we can begin to work together. You see, justice isn't going to come from vengeance and strong arming and annihilating the other side. There is no peace there. Peace will come together when we live out a way that brings justice and righteousness and reconciliation together. And so there's this verse <laughs> in Micah 6.8 that tells us how we should walk. In Micah 6.8, he says, Act with justice. Love mercy. Be merciful to one another. Carry a sense of mercy to one another. And walk humbly with our God. Walk humbly with our God. And so the ways that 
we can begin to bring justice in our world is by being people of peace wherever we go. By being people of peace that do not carry with us moral outrage, but instead have eyes to see people and to seek relationship with them wherever they are. One of the things that would be really good for us is if we turned off the national news. I think the national news is a scheme from the enemy to distract us, to delude us, to make us think that we are people of justice and righteousness and peace while we sit on our couch and do nothing. The world news makes us think that we are justice or that we're a right person just because we think rightly. And the problem is, is that just because we think that we think rightly about a situation, normally that situation isn't happening in our own community or in our own context. And we know none of the people that would be affected by our right thinking and our right decision. But the thing is that we're distracted and we're deluded by the world news that the enemy keeps us handcuffed from doing real justice right here where God has called us to dwell in our own city. So I think if we want to become people of justice, if we want to become people of peace, we need to turn off the international news. We need to turn off the national news. And we need to begin to seek relationship where God has placed us. And we need to begin to have eyes to see injustices that are happening right in front of us. Because guess what? They're real. They are real in Dane County. They are real right in front of us. There are people suffering at the hands of evil men and women. And there are things that we could do about it if we had eyes to see and ears to hear. And this is what it is to be on mission. This is what it is to love our neighbor. And so when it comes to being a person of justice, we have to be a person that walks with mercy and that leads with relationship. And so I think one of the ways that we could grow in justice and mercy and mission in our city is that if we just started to grow in relationship with the people that God has placed around us. I mean, what would it look like for you to grow in relationship of your unjust boss? What would it look like to go out for coffee with him or her? To bring them a meal? To hang out with them on a weekend, even though they make your skin crawl? What would it look like to see their thirst, to see their need, and to love them well in the middle of their prospering of injustice? What would it look like to love your neighbor who drives you nuts and serve them well and see them in their time of need? I also think the question is, what would it look like to love our neighbor even? Like we are a people who say that we want to be a people that loves our neighbor wherever we are. And the question is, is do we know our neighbor's names? If we don't know our neighbor's names, how can we even begin to love them? How can we begin to love them well? How can we begin to say that we're a community that seeks to love our neighbors? So maybe the challenge this week to, to bring justice to your neighborhood, to bring justice to your community, is to begin to know your neighbor. Because as you know your neighbor, the injustices will begin to reveal themselves. And you'll be able to hear from God and respond to them in ways that is full of love and compassion and grace and mercy. And it will begin to restore people towards the truth that Jesus has for us. I mean, this is my hope for the youth trip. My hope for the youth trip is that we would strip away all their distractions. Their cell phones are going away. <gasps> and it's just going to be us in community with one another in the city. And we're going to be equipped in the morning. We're going to come into the city, and we're going to engage in real relationship with people. 
that live and breathe and survive and exist right here. And it's my heart for the students that they would begin to see them not as objects, but as people. That they wouldn't see this as a trip to just go serve and do and check the box and look at how righteous I am, look at how good of a Christian I am, but that they would have a heart for their city. I believe that justice doesn't come from anger, but it comes from a place of love, of deep love. And that's what we see with Jesus. Jesus comes to us from a great sense of compassion and love, and he brings with him also justice, as he also brings with him mercy. And the two live together. And I believe that we're called to go and live as he lived, as people of both justice and mercy, where he has called us to dwell. So my message for us this morning is have heart, because Jesus has overcome the world. And go out into your neighborhood with courage, because he is with you. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for today. I thank you for this time to open your word. God, I thank you for Psalm 37 and all of the messages that are in it. God, I thank you for just the many sermons that can be taught from Psalm 37. God, I pray that you would train us and that you would be quick to our hearts when we want to become angry towards the injustice in the world. And God, I also pray that you'd be quick to where we become jealous of the injustice in the world, where people thrive. And God, that we would delight in you, that we would commit ourselves to you, that we would turn our eyes towards you, and that you would transform us and create us into the person that can be a person of righteousness and justice in our own neighborhoods, in our own communities, in our own workspaces that we'd be able to share your love and your mercy and your grace with those that are around us. Because God, we know, we know that at the end of the day, we are just as unrighteous as the next person, but because of you and your love, you have made us righteous with you. And God, we praise you that you've given us an identity, that you've given us a hope, that you've given us a value and a future. And God, we celebrate that now. In your name we pray, amen.